Hello, and welcome to Our Extraordinary Podcast. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we're talking about episode 202, Zoe's Extraordinary Distraction, written by Sam Laybourne and directed by Anya Adams. Before we dive in, why don't you read us the episode summary, Danny? Well, IMDb says, Zoe's attempts to spend private time with Max are continually thwarted by both Mo and work problems. The Clark family gets a new guest when Emily's sister, Jenna, comes to help with the baby. Help in air quotes. Help. That's a pretty good description. I think it, I mean, it's definitely better than the last one, which was like one miniature part of the entire story. Yeah. But yeah, what did you think of this episode, Danny? Well, this season is off to just like an incredibly good start. Like, I loved this episode a lot. How about you? I definitely liked the episode, but I didn't like it quite as much as the last one. Like, the musical numbers, which we will talk about more later, they were just completely fire. Zoe and Max's chemistry is off the charts, and I really liked getting a new character in Jenna and kind of like a preview of the other female coders. Mm -hmm. So, like, all that's exciting. But I think maybe because this episode is about distraction, like, it, it felt more like a filler episode in that way, and it didn't really resonate with me as strongly as some of the previous episodes we've seen. Like, it just felt fluffy. Still, I did... Like, one thing that I just, like, loved, loved was getting more of Emily and Leaf, who are two of my favorite side characters. And Alice Lee and Michael Thomas Grant are, like, two of my favorite singers on the show. And, I mean, it's hard to say, like, of my favorite singers because, like, everyone is amazing. Yeah. But I'll talk about this more later. But, like, Michael Thomas Grant just always kind of blows me away. And Alice Lee is one of those two where it's, like, you don't get to see them very often. And so when they when they get to come out and sing and, like, do those heavy swings... It just, it always brings an episode up a notch for me. So yeah, I don't want to like get too much into that part of things, into the musical side of things just yet. So uh, should we deep dive? I don't know if I'd personally call this a filler episode, but yes, <laughs> we can, We can argue about that later. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think Zoe sums this episode up pretty well right at the start when she's making out with Max. It's a vacation from the heaviness and grief around Mitch's death, and in that sense, the sort of main through line of the series. That makes it a really fun episode, and there are four arcs that I wanted us to get into. One, the introduction of Emily's sister Jenna, played by Ji Young Han. Two, Zoe and Max's attempts to get it on. Three, <laughs> Mo's freak out about his venture with Max. And for Leaf's management woes and the frat house vibe at uh, at Spark. Spark Point. So, yeah, let's start with the first one. What did you think of Jenna? I have a general aversion to people with the name Jenna, to be honest. A general? <laughs> a general, yeah. I've only ever had one friend with that name, and she had a twin who I was much closer to, but she was an absolute handful of a person and this Jenna definitely had that vibe of someone I personally would not want to share a room with for too long but she clearly does care about Emily and seems to at least want to try and be there for her sister in this situation mm -hmm. but as you said before it's lovely to see more about some of the other characters in the story and I also really like Emily. Yeah I, I sort of was mentioning this with the singing thing but like I'm excited to see Emily getting more airtime this season in general mm -hmm. like she's just such a fantastic character she reminds me a little bit of Margot and the Magicians, like the the sort of mundane version. And, and yeah, bringing Emily's family into the show, and uh, just Emily, again, played by Alice Lee, helps change up the dynamic in Zoe's family, which has definitely gotten a little on the, like, 
dark, heavy side yeah. with everything that's going on. So I think it's it's going to be a great way to like introduce a bit of a change of pace that is going to feel maybe more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like that the the like the preview that we've gotten of Jenna in this episode. It seems pretty clear that it's not just going to be fun drama. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she comes with a lot of baggage, um, and more even I think than we saw this week. So I was curious, like, what do you think is behind Emily's warning to Maggie about her that like don't trust her basically beyond that initial she's a flake. Yeah, um, and I mean, I think the musical number says a lot, and then Zoe even picking up on that and was just like, you know, be careful with these two. Um, It just looks like it's something that, like, things easily get dicey between the siblings. Like, there's probably lots of letdowns and misunderstandings, and while Emily sees Jenna as the problem, I'm sure there have been instances in which, like, Emily is just being, like, uptight or, like, stuck up about things. And it just sounds like Jenna is very much like the kind of person who is just like on to the next thing very quickly and mm. never yeah, like with the life coach yeah. situation. Yeah, like never in one place for long, never with another person for too long. So mm-hmm. she doesn't like have things exactly like as like she's not as grounded to reality all the time as like I feel like Emily is like and I think like that's where they differ is like clearly like you know like Emily's a working girl and and Jenna seems to be just like that free spirited like artsy person like I know she mentioned something about body art movement in Seattle so like clearly like they're just very different people but like what do you think about it so I kind of wondered because of that sort of you know the early on I think all of that makes sense for what we saw in the episode the like early warning that Zoe gives and then like what we actually see unfold but I think, like, the sort of extra baggage that was sort of hinted at at the end of the episode made me think, like, okay, maybe there's, like, a manipulative vibe going on here that we're not seeing, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that, oh, no, now I'm remembering it. Like, it is actually Emily who says that to Maggie, not, um, yeah, Emily says that to Maggie where she's like, you know, just don't get, like, don't get too attached to her or something like that. And I think it could be as simple as what you're talking about, but I felt like there was more of a, a, like, maybe she tries to bend people to her will and get them on her side a little bit more. I don't know if it's Potentially a jealousy thing. I feel like, I think she just dips a lot, but I feel like, you know, like, there's a lot more there. I bet you anything, Mm. there's probably some kind of troubling aspect within their family that maybe, like, because they said, Jenna's the older sister, right? So, like, maybe, like, it was, like, a family, like, breakup or something that, like, Jenna just was more partial to that, like, Emily just doesn't quite understand. Um, Well, and that actually brings up an interesting point, which is I don't think we really know anything about Emily's parents at this point. Like, are they alive? Because one thing that that you do sort of see as a trope, but also as like a thing that happens in real life is a lot of fights happening around when someone dies and people perceive a particular responsibility around that. Like, I don't know if you watched Lovecraft country when it came out, but there's a like central drama between two sisters where one like didn't come home for her mother's funeral and they both had a complicated relationship with their mother. But I could kind of see that being something that would be really relevant to the Clark family and also would be like a particular type of flakiness that would irk Emily. I always find like family dramas and situations like that really interesting. Um, Mm -hmm. Did you ever 
see the movie or read the book, like, this is where I leave you. Mm -mm. I think you would really like it. For one, it's it's like a Jewish family. Um, But, like, the central, like, father, like, passes away. And and it's kind of like how all of these different siblings deal with it. It has, like, Jason Bateman and, like, Tina Fey and a bunch of other people in it. The movie is obviously not as good as the book. The book's really, really good. Um, I read it around the time that my father passed away. I mean, not my father. My grandfather passed away. My father has not yeah. passed away. So, like, it was just really interesting just, like, how different people's relationships are to someone who has passed and, like, kind of, like, how they deal with that. Um, but these siblings in this story are, are forced to um, sit. Shiva? Is it Shiva? Shiva, yeah. <laughs> Shiva together. And they're not very happy about it. Shiva's a different religion. Okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there's that, but... Yeah, I mean, family dynamics are, I think you're right, I think they're just really tricky. And they always make for good storytelling. Yes. And speaking of that, I always thought it was really fun to see Zoe's family giving her shit about Max. Did you? I did. I mean, I loved it. I'm not close to my whole family, but, like, the family members that I am really close to, like, love to give each other shit. And the relationship between Zoe and her brother really reminds me of mine with my own brother, Brody. So, especially in, like, little moments, like, nagging her before she leaves for work. Like, he's like, we're not above that. Like, (laughs) and (laughs) how he simultaneously wants to, like, put fear into Max, but then, like, high-five him at the same time. It's absolutely something my own brother would do. I believe, though, that I'm a lot closer to my brother in age than they are so I'm probably a little bit more closer than they are it's honestly hard to tell what the ages are supposed to be right like she so she's almost 30 right yeah that's yeah. what we decided that's, that's something that the creator said in an interview that she's close oh, to okay, turning yeah. 30 but I don't think David's like crazy older than that I think like the the absolute max for him is probably around 35 yeah I would say he's probably around 35 but you and your brother are like a year apart We're like right? a year and a half yeah I, I do think we're a little bit closer than they are. Does he give you partner shit? Yeah, and I've actually dated a lot of his friends, so it's been really funny. <laughs> oh, shit. Well, I mean, Max and Zoe really struggled to find alone time in this episode. But when they finally did, that scene was just really lovely. Um, a, a nice combination of, like, over-the-top ridiculous with ridiculousness with the, the take-me-out-to-the-ball-game slash I'll-make-love-to-you medley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which... In, it's a little bit weird, but like it kind of reminded me of that line from Maggie earlier when she's like, "You're a boy, no, you're a man." Like boys are allowed, men are allowed. It's like boys to men. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> Probably not intentional, but still funny. No, totally random, but it, it it just gave it a little extra in my in my brain. And then of course, like that combined with some of the really sweet ways that they were addressing, because we were talking last week about how like Max and Zoe. They're going to have to address at some point the fact that, like, Zoe has this insight into him and he doesn't have this insight into her. And the duet, I think, does a really good job of that. So, you know, we'll get into the music part of that more when we talk about the episode of Heart Songs. Mm -hmm. But from a story perspective, what did you think of the scene and the general narrative around Max and Zoe this episode? I love them together so much. I just, like... They have such an easy chemistry and, like, a vibe. Mm -hmm. And, like, I ship them pretty fucking hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. I literally texted you. The hopeless romantic in me is crying. And the cold dead part of me warmed a bit. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how I feel about them. They're very clearly in that honeymoon phase, though, like, where everything is cute. And they have, like, these, like, crazy teenager, like, hormones again. Uh And She's blushing constantly. Yeah. Like, this entire episode. Yeah, and I just, like, love how absolutely comfortable they are with each other, though. So, I mean, I loved every little scene that they had together in this episode, and they had quite a few. 
But how are you feeling about Zomax? So, I mean, you know, in season one, I wasn't quite as excited about Zomax as, as you were. But I think, like, it's so easy to win me over on this because everything has been very adult. It's kind of like what you were talking about with the with um, Austin Winsberg saying, like, we don't want to keep a love triangle around because that's not realistic. That's not an adult relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, that is the thing that keeps being compelling to me about their relationship. Not the... <laughs> teenager hormones but like the fact that they talk shit out and I feel like the concerns I had were around him being able to accept her not being interested in him mm-hmm. and both that's like a bit of a moot point and the things that I was concerned about around that were like him maybe not being mature enough to handle conflict with her and those things are very clearly not an issue at least Not right now. Yeah, I do think, like, the problems that they had in season one were definitely more of, like, feeling betrayed. Like, I feel like he just really Mm -hmm. felt betrayed by her in a couple different, couple different, like, moments. But, like, overall, like, he was always able to kind of let those negative feelings slide and, like, be there for her. Yeah, and I think, like, another way of putting it is that I think early on when he was hiding how he felt about her, then when things did come out... It didn't give him a chance to express himself, honestly, Mm -hmm. right? And so then when things did come out, they came out in this more kind of passive-aggressive way. And now that they are both being honest with each other, that's not happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. One thing that did strike me in this episode is that Zoe still doesn't seem to have talked to Simon Mm -hmm. about that. (laughs) So, like, they have this awkward moment at work when she accidentally says she's going to ride him. Ride him so Um, hard write him so hard but it made it all the more notable to me because like she spends so much time even at work in this episode tr- trying to like get to max so that they can bang <laughs> and simon i was just like we haven't seen her talk to him is he still waiting for an answer from her and i i feel like he must be because like we literally picked up where the last episode ended with them making out with uh, max and zoe making out yeah so i i just feel like it I hope that she, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't hope she texted him, but, like, I hope that they have that conversation. But, like, it it needs to be acknowledged, even if it's not going to be, like, a major part of the series going forward. I don't think they've had that conversation, but I feel like he knows. Like, I feel like it had this air of awkwardness to it that made me feel like he either, from just general intuition or from, like, Mo or Max, like, knows Mm. about what's going on. And I think it will be addressed at some point. I feel like he knows. How could it not? (laughs) I feel like, though, he knows at the end of the day, Zoe being able to cope is probably what matters the most to him because he is a good guy. Yeah, he is. So one of the other things, one of the interruptuses to Max and Zoe's coitus attempts is, of course, (laughs) sorry, um, is Mo. (laughs) He freaks out when Max tries to get him to sign a contract to make their partnership official. And because he's Mo, like Zoe figures this out because he starts singing opera super loud in his apartment when she's on her date with Max. And then he, like, blows Zoe off when she goes over to talk to him about it. But then, of course, like, sings a heart song that is truly heartbreaking. Yeah. So what do you think of Mo's arc this episode? Well, for one, this isn't the first time Mo's done this. Mo loves to shut people out um, when shit gets real. Like, I mean, he does it in season one during the whole, like, church uh, gender fluid episode. So it's not the first time 
he he also gets like pretty aggressive towards her when he doesn't want to talk about things. Yeah. Which is fine, like he doesn't have to, but for one, I'm I'm still somehow boundaries are good, okay. I'm still somehow always shocked at Alex Newell's singing abilities. Like, damn. How are you shocked? I don't like, know. Like this and Glee yeah, and I, like. I don't know. But I still am. Like, it's like he always just brings something more to the table like every time. Yeah. But at first, like, I was honestly scared that it had something to do with his long distance relationship with his boyfriend. Mm. And that it was like, just like yeah, triggering I him. And I was like, no. But it didn't. Um. I thought it was an interesting arc because it's always nice to see more about Mo because at the end of the day, like, he's still, like, kind of a mysterious character. And I think this season is going to be a lot more about really, like, meeting the other characters that make up Zoe's world. Well, and I think that's important in general. I also think it's especially important with Mo because even though Zoe is the one with the magical powers, there has been a little bit of a, like, magical black friend vibe Ooh, yeah. um, with Mo's character. And so I think the more that we get to know about him and the more that he becomes real, the the more that'll go away, right? Like, so I'm I'm looking forward to sort of taking down the things that make Mo quote-unquote magical in those ways and... Yeah. I mean, I feel like they're trying to break that. Like, he's not always perfectly there for Zoe. Yeah. He's never yes. always, like, the deciding factor in anything. Um, And he does have his own kind of storyline going. He's definitely not yeah. perfect. So I do think they're trying to break that stereotype. But Yes. But the more they can do it, the more the better. Can do it, the better. I mean, I just I love Mo. Like I would love to see just more. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of critics said that like that he was one of the best characters to come out of TV like this last year, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I agree. Yeah, and I think it's also like I mean, I do think the visibility of his character is helping a lot of people who don't know as much about queer and particularly like gender queer and gender fluid sides of things. Mm-hmm. understand that a little bit better yeah um the one thing that surprised me a little bit was the way that his arc was resolved i'm not shocked that mo would have kind of like a controlling attitude in a creative project because he's just such a creative person and like if <laughs> as you and i know having worked together on creative projects <laughs> for almost five years now it can be a little hard to let go of your creative vision yeah um, when you're working with other people. But I was a little surprised that it was the contract that freaked him out. And this is like such a you know nerdy, nitpicky thing to get angsty about. But it's it's exactly because like a contract is what would protect would protect your friendship from that, right? Like that's the thing that says you actually don't have the power to go screw over your friend randomly. So mm-hmm. I, I know that's like a dumb thing. It was probably just like about him realizing that it was real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like Mo says it a few times. Like, he doesn't trust himself. And it's not that he doesn't trust Max. Like, he doesn't want to lose him as a friend. And they clearly mm-hmm. got quite close in the time away from Zoe. All three weeks of it. All three weeks. <laughs> I mean, they were starting to form. I, I mean, I've been rewatching season one, and they were starting yeah, yeah, to yeah. form a friendship even as early as, well, when, <laughs> when Mo gave Max the, like, makeover. <laughs> so like they're definitely like closer and i think it is just more of like a like a guilt thing like like um max points it out to like oh like you just feel guilty yeah. and i feel like it's also just like they don't know each other well enough too yet yeah. most seem genuinely surprised about max's anecdote about his dad never being proud of him mm-hmm. 
But also, yeah. I want to hear about this street fight that he was apparently in. <laughs> <laughs> well, but didn't didn't we decide that that was the lie at the two truths and a lie? No, that was one of the truths because his lie was, or his truth was. But it's two truths and a lie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that was the lie. I think oh, Mo okay, was right okay. about that. But you, you raised something which I somehow forgot to work into this script, which was the makeover. <laughs> oh, I can't. How even... much did you crack up when Zoe came out with the like big 80s hair all in like glitter and sequins? It was it was pretty great. Like I feel like it's actually something that I've seen Jane Levy like wear before, like something <laughs> crazy. Like I, because like I mean I've been a fan of hers for actually a really long time, so I feel like I've seen something crazy like that on her before. But it was just so good, and I love how like there's a couple moments where Max does this, where he like basically kind of like sells her out, and she was like, Mo's like, oh yeah, oh do you? What if she changed her look to this like all the time or that part? Wait, when she, he says, uh, when he says that Mo can burn all her sweaters, yeah, he's like, sure. <laughs> she says no, and they're like, excuse me. <laughs> uh, it's like the little moments like that that I just like love about like their relationships, though. Yes. Well, I also really liked that. Like, we didn't know Zoe was in the house until, in the apartment, until she walked in. Yeah. Also, though, about that contract, isn't it, like, not legally binding if there's typos? Like, I swear that's a thing. I don't think that's a thing. Are you sure? (laughs) I mean, it just, maybe that particular word would be a problem. I feel like you could contest it, though, because of, like... No. I don't know. No, I swear not, not unless it before. has a change in me. Trust me on this. I've I've actually looked at some legal cases that involve linguistics because I taught semantics. Okay. Uh, it, there has to be you have to be able to make an argument for a, a difference in meaning mm. um, or an inability to understand it. And for that to be the case, it's generally more than just a like simple typo. Okay. There's probably some cases where you could make that argument, but those would be ones where a typo did actually change the meaning in some way. Yeah. Okay, so I was trying to figure out why Mo wouldn't just talk to Max, but I guess you sort of answered this about him just being really good at shutting people out when things get real. Yeah. So do you think, I mean, do you think it's just that? Do you think he's, like, ashamed? I think so, and I, I think, like, Max kind of points that out. Like, I think you're feeling, like, some extreme guilt over over the situation. Mm-hmm. And I still think it's funny that the best friend's name was Zora, and now he's Best friends with Zoe. <laughs> it made me think of uh, of Glow, Zoya the Destroyer. I still haven't watched it's not even that, that show. I've, I mean, I've seen like a couple episodes of season one and I like wasn't feeling it. So, Oh, okay. Well, if you saw a few episodes of season one and you didn't like it, you probably won't like it. But Okay. Because <laughs> season one, I think, is the best. But a- anyway, our last Zoe's discussion point today before we get to heart songs is Leaf. What did you think of him as a manager? I mean, it made me laugh because like, I feel like I've seen situations like this where like someone thinks that they're going to be such a great fucking manager, but when push comes <laughs> to shove, they just like can't do it. I do think it has more to do with the fact that he's friends with all of these people than anything, yeah. especially Tobin. But I do like this arc. I think it's important to show that like he is able to make these similar mistakes to yeah what zoe has done in the past like when he pulled the all-nighter and did all the work like it's like you can't do all of the work in a big kid job you just can't no like it's not like school well and that's not what managing is right like Mm -hmm. which which i think they say in their conversation pretty clearly but like i I was very briefly a manager of my team for like 
I don't know, four months because our manager left and I was the most senior person. And honestly, I think the thing that benefited me most was knowing that I'm not a people person. And so I was like, this is going to be a problem for me (laughs) and just getting as much advice as I could and as possible. But like as a manager, like your job is to enable your team to do things. Yeah. To like get obstacles out of their way. And if you're just doing shit for them, you're not doing that. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're really kind of doing the opposite of that. You're creating obstacles for them for their ultimate growth. Yeah. But I like what you said about like him repeating Zoe's mistakes because I think their sort of rivalry over that management role in the first season. It's clear that he has a bit of a, like, superiority complex about it and, like, how he treated her after she got it. Yeah. Also, like, I mean, they just, like, have very interesting relationship. Like, to this day, like, he still thinks she's the one that wrote that really negative review about him when it was actually Joan. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. You said last time, too, that you were hoping we'd learn more about the women of Spark, and it looks like you're going to get your wish. So what did you think about that as a solution to Leaf's management problems? I don't know if necessarily it's going to be, like, this, like, perfect solution. Like, I feel like, if anything, it's going to really fuck with the dynamics that are going all, like, around there. For one, you know Tobin's going to be a little dick about it, because it's Tobin. (laughs) Um, Because he is a little dick. (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like... Just from meeting these women just shortly, like, it feels like, especially, like, the lead one that talked the most, like, probably has her own bit of an ego problem. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know if necessarily, like, her and Leaf are gonna get along. Like, I can just, like, feel that. Or her and Tobin. Like, it's gonna be, like, one of these, like, things. Like, I can just, like, clash. So, like, I mean, like, I feel like it's not gonna be a solution yet. It might work out in the long run, but I do just, like, still think it's important to implement more women in because it was something that always kind of bothered me about the first season too and I was like there's really not that many women Mm -hmm. and I know that that was kind of like a point like one of the points is that like Zoe is like one of the only like women there and she got like promotion and everything but yeah now that she's in a position of authority especially it seems like it's time to kind of fix that yeah I felt like I had, like, I had two thoughts about it. So, I mean, on on the one hand, yes, I agree. Like, making the team more balanced seems like a good thing. Independent of the dynamic issues, it just create more and better opportunities for women to spark. Show that teams can be balanced, right? Like, mm-hmm. create things in that way. On the other hand, and you sort of brought this up in your notes, like, part of the problem, too, is that Tobin and Leaf are friends. Mm-hmm. So in terms of who gets sent away, it would have made more sense, I think, from a solution perspective to send Tobin upstairs instead of one of the random coders. Obviously, like from a TV show perspective, that's going to be trickier. Like we already had one upstairs, downstairs rivalry Mm -hmm. in this show. Doing that again is probably not sustainable. You need them in the same room. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> but, like, it, I do think that if that's the main problem, it, it's going to need to get more than just, like, a one-line Tobin saying, what are you doing, and Leaf being, like, managing. Yeah. The other thing is that I, I don't really feel like I have a good sense of what the switch means for anyone's careers. Like, in season one, it seemed like there was more prestige associated with the teams and offices on higher floors. Yeah. Maybe that's changed now, but, like, those three women who came in were all from floor five rather than floor four. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think they'd be happy about the move if they were be- essentially, like, being demoted to make this team more diverse. 
mean, that in some ways that would be reflective of the reality of the tech industry, but like not in a good way. <laughs> so I think it's like it's a move that's affecting a lot of people in their careers. And it's not clear to me how much they've been consulted or like what how that's going to play out. And I don't think that's something that there's really going to be much of a chance to explore in this show because it's not really the main point. Yeah. I mean, I probably think it's either a, a tiny bit of an unintentional continuity error or the mm. prestige possibly went away when the previous boss was fired and Joan took over as interim CEO of the company. But it was likely more of just like a way to push the plot forward. Yeah. I I do think the prestige was probably taken away. Also, the company is pretty broke from what they've said. So there might be no prestige to any of the areas at that moment. I also do wonder, like, is that just going to make floor five a frat house? Probably. But I do like feel like this move is somehow going to be like, it's going to lead to, like, Leaf and Tobin being, like, separated in some way. Like, whether that being, like... A rift. Yeah, like, another rift between the two of them. More No Doubt songs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, speaking of songs, it's heart song time. It has been so hard to talk about the plot of this one in particular without getting into some of the numbers. Because they've just been really, really epic. Yeah. So, there are... Five, six main songs. We're going to ignore the opera and also like there's a medley. So I'm calling it five, but like six ish, seven. That Girl's Poison by Belle Bib DeVoe, which Emily sings. Mm-hmm. Too Good at Goodbyes by Sam Smith, which Mo sings. Baby Did a Bad, Bad Thing by Chris Isaac, sung by Leaf. Take Me Out to the Ball Game slash I'll Make Love to You medley, sung by Max. And then the duet that Max and Zoe sing, which is A Moment Like This by Kelly Clarkson. So just like last time, I'm going to start this section by asking, what was your favorite number this week? It's it's This was like such a hard, like, like you said, like all of the numbers are so good. Like Leaf constantly surprises me by like how just fucking amazing his voice is. Like I just remember the first time that I heard him sing like I put a spell on you. Like I was literally like, I don't want to be like cheesy and say spellbound, but that's like how it felt. Well, and... You know, Lanier, my husband and I, when that came on, we were, we like heard, I don't know, it was like the opening chords or whatever, and we just sort of knew it was going to be a song that he, we knew that was going to be the song. And the Screamin' Jay Hawkins version of that is so iconic and so just like amazing, over the top amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just like, oh, that's like, that's not a, that's a mean thing to do to that actor. And then he opens his mouth and you're like, okay, okay, you got this. Yeah. So, like, I mean, there was that, um, I think, like, a, like Too Good at Goodbyes, the, the Sam Smith cover was incredible. But I think, like, at the end of the day, like, I have to say it's just, like, the entire bedroom scene. Mm. So, like, the medley plus the duet. The medley duet. plus the duet, like, really, like, just took it for me. And it's a lot to do with, like, the choreography of it was insane. Yeah, so talk about that. And you were talking about some of the singing choices that Skylar Aston made, too, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, in my notes, I'm sure you saw that. Like, I love just, like, the little tiny things about it, like how when Zoe pulls his belt off and his voice goes, like, an octave higher when he's singing, take me out to the ball game. I just, like, love little, like, tiny just add-ins like that that I'm just, like, I'm I'm just so curious. I'm like, was it there or was that a choice that Skylar made? And then the choreography, like, when he is kind of, like, like stops in the middle of it and is like taking off his clothes and mm-hmm. and he's all mad and angry about it. And just, <laughs> I don't know. There's just like such a a realness to it 
even mm-hmm. though it's like this over the top thing of just like it, it's just like if something's just like not working like sexually between someone it can be very frustrating yeah and like it's just like all came through and with the the songs it just makes it even funnier and then I don't know like I, I just love the choreography of it the way that they just kind yeah. of like both of them both actors like even um Jane, like, when she's doing, like, the little spinny thing on the bed and just kind of, like, waiting for him to come out. And yeah, it's just really funny, but also just, like, really, like, endearing, too, to to see, like, you know, like, I mean, Max has made it abundantly clear over and over and over again how much he, like, loves her. Um, so it was really sweet. And then when they did the duet, it was just, like, I just love just hearing the the juxtaposition between her singing acapella and him not yeah. having like the big band behind him. Like I just thought it was so lovely and well done. It really showcases their singing abilities. And even like, I remember reading that Jane does has never been like taught how to professionally sing. Like this is all really? her. Yeah. Well, we were talking about how, how wild it is to do that to her, to like put her in that acapella place, which makes sense from the story, right? Because it's not happening in her head and the band is always there as sort of like a, an emblem of what's going on in her head. Yeah. So, right, you kind of need that separation to show that it's that it's real. But also singing acapella is hard, period. And when you're singing acapella pitted against Skylar Aston who is singing with a band, it's just, like, it takes a lot to hold your own in that, and she really did. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, that you were saying that that was your favorite, the bedroom yeah, I just medley. Like, yeah, just, like, the whole whole entire thing is just really sweet, too. Like, it was as funny yeah. as it was, it was also just, like, really sweet. And like I said, like, the hopeless romantic in me was just like, <laughs> Um. So I agree with everything you said, and I, I do think it was amazing. Maybe because I, I like, knew that that was going to be what you said. <laughs> and maybe also just because I just, I do, like, I think Michael Thomas Grant is my favorite singer on the show, which is not purely about ability, right? Like, everyone on the show is amazing. Skylar Aston is incredible. John Clarence Stewart is incredible. Alex Newell is incredible. Like, there's nobody on the show who isn't a five-star talent. But... With Leaf, it always it's the same way you were saying with Alex Newell. Like with Leaf, it always surprises me. And it shouldn't. But <laughs> I think because he's singing these songs, and this is no exception, that have these really iconic performances and iconic recordings. Yeah. So it's not just about his talent at singing. It's about like taking this thing that's really iconic and making it your own. And that's a really hard thing to do. And so every time I see him sing, I'm just I feel like I'm just arrested by it because of that. Because like I'm expecting it to be a sort of insurmountable task, Sisyphean task, if you will. Yeah. And he makes it look easy every time. So yeah, I think I'm I think I'm gonna give it that. My sort of other I mean, we'll talk about all of them, but I do also wanna mention um Emily's number. Maybe maybe we'll just go into talking about that. Cause Alice Lee is another singer who I think like in season one, didn't get a ton of airtime, but mm-hmm. just, like, kills it when she does. Mm-hmm. So, one, that that Girl's Poison is, like, a total classic for people in our generation. I love that it shows off her, like, boss bitch side, because in the premiere episode, right after she had the baby, we weren't really seeing that, because 
I don't know, like things had sort of shifted. So yeah. it's nice to see that it's not just her ambition at work, but it's part of her personality, an integral part of her personality. And having kids is not going to take that away from her. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I love her character. Like we haven't gotten to see her too, too much. Like, I don't even think they really talked about her at all. Like in the first season until like episode like two or three is when she finally shows up. Yeah. And we don't really get like a big sense of her until that episode where she thinks that David is cheating or whatever. Yeah. So it's been interesting getting to know her and just she does like have this like amazing ability to sing. And I really hope that they give her more opportunities to sing because like I feel like when she does, it's usually with like other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so getting to see her go solo a bit is nice. Mm -hmm. She's also a really good dancer. Yeah. So I think it's nice. Right. I mean, all of everything is a singing and dance number. Um, and, you know, everyone is good at both to a certain extent, but like Skylar Astin's talent is, is skewed toward his singing, right? He's, he's a decent dancer, but he's an amazing singer. And you've got like a, a couple people like that. And so I think with her, it's really nice to see somebody where like the dancing is very visibly good, <laughs> right? Like yeah. where that's a big part of it, where the sort of virtuosity in dancing kind of like grabs your attention. I do feel like Skylar Aston is very like privileged in that he has a quite the theater background. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much. Did you watch his he did a like he and uh, the actor plays Tobin did a Facebook or an Instagram live earlier this week and they were talking about like his early Broadway parts. <laughs> I didn't, but I know that he's done a lot. Like I know that the first thing that he did is he was in the original cast of Spring Awakening. Uh-huh. Like he he definitely has quite the theater background, which I, yeah. I'm sure helps him a lot. I know like he's not the only one. A lot of them do. Like uh, Peter Gallagher had been a part yeah, of a lot yeah. of Broadway productions as well. I haven't done too much research on all of them. I don't think I'm sure some of them are actually more dancers than they are singers. I think I read that Alice Lee was like a yeah. So she was she's also a YouTuber. Oh, interesting. Under the name Alice J. Interesting. I don't know too much about YouTube, so. I feel like YouTuber culture is, is like, just half a generation removed from me, so I don't feel like I fully, like, I fully understand it. But there yeah. is, like, that's its whole own type of performance. And I, I'd be really interested to, I don't know, if we ever get to talk to her, I definitely want to ask, like, how she thinks that affects the her performance style and her sort of approach to character and whatever mm -hmm. okay so then the only one that we now haven't talked about in any depth is Moe's Sam Smith cover and I know you really love that um so why don't you tell me about that like why did it speak to you so strongly I feel like it has to do with the fact that I just also really like love that song I think the song mm -hmm. is a really f fucking sad and beautiful song and I always love, like, I guess when queer artists cover other queer artists' material, mm. especially Sam Smith, I know also identifies as gender fluid. That's interesting. There, there's a lot to it there, um, but I just, I just love the way that Alex Newell sings, just puts everything mm. into it. So it's like... Yeah, there was a lot of rawness in that one. Yeah, so that's why, like, it was so raw, and that's what, like, made me feel like... It had something to do with, like, his relationship with his boyfriend at first because he did also just mention in the premiere that they were, like, hadn't seen each other in so long. Yeah, and that's yeah. why it, like, kind of made me feel like that. 
but I don't know. I just like, I love it. I love that song. Um, it was a really good choice for him and his singing abilities. Mm-hmm. Even the choreography was really beautiful. I mean, the show, just like in general with the choreography is insane on this yeah. show. Well, so we've we've covered the main plot arcs. We've covered heart songs. We'll move on to final thoughts soon. But before we do, are there any sort of like stray observations or anything that you wanted to cover? I don't think I have anything that I absolutely feel like I need to talk about other than the fact that I'm completely in love with Max. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what about you? <laughs> he's he's a Capricorn magnet. <laughs> okay, so this is this is really a stray observation. But uh, I was talking to my stepmom. We were texting back and forth about how, like, <laughs> this is such a great show, but the one thing that irritates us as, like, Bay Area, like, people who live in the Bay Area is that it, it seems pretty clear that Zoe's family lives in Marin. The only other place that's, like, in the Bay Area that's, like, that suburban, parts of Berkeley can be like that, but I don't think it's a Berkeley family. It definitely seemed like a Marin family. And yet in season one, Zoe would just, like, casually drop by after work. You have to take the fucking ferry to get to Marin. <laughs> so, like, that's the only way? Well, I mean, you could drive, but does You'd Zoe have to have go, a like, car? all the way around, right? There's a bridge. But, like, you, you either have to drive, and it's going to take a while, or you have to take the ferry, and it's going to take a while. And I don't think Zoe has a car, so, like... You know, I always thought the same thing when I was watching it uh, the first the first season. I was just like, you know, like, as much as they can make this feel like San Francisco, like, this really doesn't feel like San Francisco. I felt like, from what I've been in, in San Francisco, the only place that I could think of that was similar was obviously Marin, but, like, um, like right, that area that's, like, right after you enter the city from the Golden Gate Bridge is kind of similar. I still think it's, like, not that, not urban enough for that to be possible. Yeah, well, that is, like, the super rich, like, upscale area. Yeah. But, yeah, I always, like, I was just, like, out of everything, like, this is the one thing they can't pull off as being, like, feeling accurate. But I just, like, love all the, like, little mentions of the Bay Area that I just Mm -hmm. feel, like, make it feel, like, authentic in some ways. Yes, Um, yeah. And it honestly, it's a little ridiculous of me to be like, this is a show where somebody has musicals happening in their brain all the time and <laughs> that come from other people. So it is a little ridiculous for me to be like, but she can't get to Mill Va- to like Mill Valley that quickly or whatever. <laughs> like, this is definitely not the big thing. It was just something that we were talking about. And I thought, bore mentioning. But you were saying you like all the like little... I like the little mentions of it, like, and also just, like, when they say, like, like when Max is like, I got a very open-minded therapist in Berkeley, and I was all, they would be in Berkeley. They would. Hmm. <laughs> I It's just, like, the little things, like, how they refer to, like, certain areas just by, like, yeah, yeah. name without, like, going into it or, like, over-explaining it, because, like, like, some area, like, shows will do that when it, like, takes place yeah. in a certain area, and I like that they... They don't really seem to do that. Yeah, very natural world building. Yeah. I I always thought that was really cool. I try not to be a super harsh critic, but, like, whenever anything has to do with the Bay Area, like, it's hard not to. (laughs) Like, just having grown up near it my entire life, and I'm just like, like, there's some stuff. Like, there's actually this other show that, that Jane Levy is in called What If that was on Netflix, also takes place in San Francisco. And also has uh, John Clarence Stewart, Stewart in it as well. Well, and she is from Marin. Um, yeah. Jane, Jane Levy. Yeah. So, like, 
I, I always like, I'm just like, this show does a way better job than some other things have done. Actually, the worst portrayal of San Francisco in like, uh, like media that I've, I think I've ever seen was the Venom movie that came out like two years ago. It was bad. All right. Well, I think we can move to final <laughs> thoughts now, now that we've hit Venom territory. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, why don't you go first this time? What is your, your overall summary, your final thoughts? I mean, I just, I really liked this episode. I thought it was really fun and really sweet. Like, there's just so many sweet little moments in it. Um, tugged at my heartstrings a little bit in different ways. Like, in different ways yeah. than it usually, I feel like, does. So, I don't know. I was really happy with this episode. What about you? I said this at the top and you disagreed. But I, I stand by my my judgment of this as a filler episode, which is not, like, a negative judgment. Um, it just, it, the meat of the season has to be in Zoe and her family's grief. There's, there's no other possibility really for the meat of the season, despite the fact that Zoe and Max are getting together. Um, and that hasn't really been dealt with yet. Like we, we got only a very small glimmer of it in that premiere. And I think I actually saw a trailer for, for the next episode that suggests that it's going to, like, that's when it's really going to hit for Zoe at least. It's going to, yeah, yeah. Right. And of course, it's the title is called Zoe's Extraordinary Distraction. So I feel like they're kind of telling us, telegraphing that it's that it's a filler episode. But uh, and so like sort of that's fine. There were a few little things that niggled niggled at me. Like one thing I mentioned before was that sort of contract (laughs) issue Mm -hmm. um, with Mo. And this other one is small, but like the. The whole baseball song thing felt a little like a manufactured problem. Like, obviously, they were always going to have to deal with that inequality between um, that inequality and insight between Zoe and Max and their relationship. And it was a really sweet way to do it. And I loved the scene. At the same time, it it felt a little odd (laughs) for it to be at this point. And maybe especially because they have like several scenes where they're trying to get it on and where they get like to a certain point in that. And it's only in this scene where Max mentions this. Yeah, that's true. I, I <laughs> yeah. actually noticed that for sure as yeah, well. Yeah, so it was like very small things that didn't quite work for me. But the songs are amazing. Like, honestly, I think in terms of the music, this is one of my favorite episodes yeah. um, of this entire series be- so far because just every single one Yeah, I remember hit- like when they got to Leaf's song, I was like, mm-hmm. we're only 20 minutes in and like every single fucking song is yeah. amazing. Just... Um, yeah incredible um so definitely that is something that more than worked for me Mm -hmm. um it was nice to get some new characters i am really excited to to see to see more about those characters to see more about jenna and the other and the female coders and also to see the way that like i think bringing jenna in prefigures this this more central role for emily and similarly like, we're seeing the same thing in, in Leaf's storyline, right? Like, he is a manager now. He is dealing with all of these things. And it's sort of, like, they create issues that Zoe has to be involved in, but also that, like, they have to work out together as managers. So I think, like, I am really excited about all those things. And in this particular episode, excited to see more of um, Alice Lee and Michael Thomas Grant's talents. Yeah. Because they're just incredible. So I think, like... You know, overall, I definitely liked this episode. It didn't quite, like, hit me in the gut 
I have not talked about my dad once this episode, probably because Zoe didn't talk about her dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, I still thought it was like so entertaining and enjoyable. So the reason I say it's not filler is because like, I mean, still everything is still something that's moving the plot forward where I feel like with a generally with a TV show and it's like a filler episode, it's like literally nothing that brings the plot forward in any way, shape or form. We just have to have different definitions of that. Like, I don't know. Like, this is, like, someone who's come from watching a lot of fucking anime. Um, So Dragon Ball Z is, like, every other episode (laughs) is filler. So, like... Well, and Star Trek was, I mean, right, like, I think of the Monster of the Week episodes in, like, Star Trek or Buffy or, like, any of those shows. Yeah, well, I mean, it's any any show that goes longer than 13 episodes a season is gonna have Mm -hmm. a filler episode or two. Like, it's just too long to to drag on story arcs otherwise yeah well so i I think that's basically all i had anything else you want to say before we wrap up i don't think so then i think we have come to the end of our episode listeners thanks for joining us if you like what you heard please subscribe slap that five star rating on apple Podcasts so other people can find our show and we'll see you next week for episode 203 bye bye When I tell you love has come here and now A moment like this Some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this Some people search forever for that one special kiss Oh, I can't believe it's happening to me Some people wait a lifetime for more